0: And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. you You're listening to Mike Slater Part of the next generation of talk radio Only on the Blaze Radio Network
2: Wow, well, Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world How are you? Thank you for being here Slater, why the tone? <laughs> well, everyone's a little fired up still That's fine. That's understandable. Kind of hesitant to try to even do something productive today because we're all a little emotional. We need some time to process, time to vent, time to get some things off our chest. Completely understand that. I I want to be very upfront with what I want to do, at least for this hour. I was thinking uh, this would be Tuesday night when Cruz dropped out. I was driving home after our election coverage and I said, because obviously the big storyline is going to be, will Cruz supporters ever jump on the Trump train? Like, what's it going to take for a never-Trump person to join the Trump train? So I was driving home and I thought to myself, all right, if I were tasked... With trying to convince a never-Trump person to vote for Donald Trump in the general election, what argument would I make? Actually, let me give you another piece of background here. Two weeks ago, I uh, emceed the San Diego County Eagle Scout dinner. It was awesome. There's 450 Eagle Scouts this year in San Diego County. So I emceed the dinner every year. It's a lot of fun. And every year, an adult is paired up with one of the Eagle Scouts. So my Eagle Scout this year, uh, Neil, kid's baller. Going to Dartmouth next year. He's in six different clubs. Not, not in. He's the head of six different clubs. And one of them is debate club. He's the president of the debate club in his school. And I never took debate in high school or college. I was never in a debate club. So I asked him all about it, how it works. And he said, well, what you do is they give you a argument to make. And you make it. And then the other side does their rebuttal. And then you switch so so at first, maybe they give you the argument uh, you have to be in in um, opposed to raising the minimum wage, okay so they make the argument against raising the minimum wage, and then whatever twenty minutes later they flip and now you have to make the argument for raising the minimum wage and it's a really good skill set to have is to be able to make arguments on both sides now you're gonna believe like in the end you're going to come down and truly believe in your heart of hearts what's the right thing to do but you should be able to make all arguments that's why they have the debate team okay so i, I did that a couple of weeks ago and in that spirit driving home thinking okay if, if i were tasked with trying to get a never trump person to vote for trump what argument would i make and that's what I want to do for this hour. And you can, goodness gracious, I, I'm never in the business of telling you what to do or what to believe or what to think. I, I, will never, I'm, 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 I would never do that. But I want to present an argument and see what you think about it. And you can take it or you can, uh, can leave it right there on the table. It's fine. So I want to share a story here. Um, back in December, when we did, are we, are we clear on what I'm trying to do here? If I were tasked with the job of taking a never-Trump person and trying to convince them to join the Trump train, what argument would I make? Here's my best go at it. When we did our 90-minute interview with Donald Trump in the Trump Tower back in December, we, um, it was great. Trump and I, we hit it off. Big love fest. Fun times had by all. It was very early in the campaign. And uh, we, we had a good time in our 90-minute interview. And I was talking to some friends of mine when I got back home bunch of guys my age and they were all pumping it up right kind of making it a bigger deal than it was and poking fun at me and and the whole experience and all that stuff and they said and all out of jest and love and fun and they said oh slater what if donald trump picks you to be his press secretary now i want to be as clear as possible please hear me when i say this there is no chance that that would have ever happened or will ever happen. There is zero chance he would pick me to be his press secretary. The guys were just embarrassing me, you know, making me blush, kind of having a good time poking fun, right? And I kind of forget when this was happening or what was going on when this happened. But already he was making headlines for saying off-the-wall things right back in December. So would I – this was the question posed – Would I, someone who disagrees with many of Trump's policies, disagrees in many ways with his uh, approach, would I, or is it appropriate for me, to work for him in his inner circle as a press secretary would be? Interesting thought experiment. And it was interesting how my buddies brought up press secretary because press secretary is a job where you are forced to lie or mislead. So should I take this job, working for someone who I disagree with often, strongly disagree with sometimes, in a job where I must lie? So it's a fun thought experiment. We talked about it for a while. And again, no chance of this happening. And I think we came to a working conclusion. I cut off the foolish conversation before uh, we maybe gave a final conclusion. But this is the working conclusion. That I would take the job because it's worth being in the inner circle, even though you disagree with the leader sometimes, but it's worth being in the inner circle so that when something really important comes around, you are there to be a light. When things get really dark, you are there to be a light. So you do your job, do your job, do your job, and then something really important comes up, and you can, you can choose that moment. You could put your foot down and maybe be an influence in a positive way. I think that's what Ben Carson is doing. I think Ben Carson, in, in the scale of agreement... On Donald Trump, or, or I should say on a scale of what he thinks of Donald Trump, Ben Carson lies somewhere between disagreement and disgust, right? It's like Ben Carson, I, he like, at, the, at best, disagrees with Trump, at most, is completely disgusted by him in everything that Donald Trump believes in and pretends to be. So why did Ben Carson endorse him? Because he thought he would win and he wanted to be in the inner circle so that... Ben Carson can influence Donald Trump, when possible or when necessary. And I think there's, I think that's important. Now, Slater, what do you, what, what does this have to do with anything? If you're a never Trump person, Cruz supporter, or a never Trump person, whoever, I know how you feel. I understand the policy disagreements. I understand the moral disagreements. I understand the work you've put in to find a constitutional scholar, right? constitutional conservative, a strong Christian, whatever the reasons you liked Ted Cruz. I Totally get it. But again, thinking of what I could argue to make you jump on the Trump train. Now, now look, real quick, there's no magical argument that will make someone go from, I'm never voting for Donald Trump, to, I love Donald Trump. Bro. Like That's, that's not going to happen. There's no expectation that I could ever say anything that would make you go from hating him to loving him. But I think there's an argument that might make you go from, I'm never voting for Donald Trump, to... Uh, Right. that's it that's all I'm asking for could I suggest never Trump that you see a dark movement you see one that you want nothing to do with but maybe what that dark movement needs more than anything is a little bit of light your light your wisdom, your insight, your perspective. Now, you may not be able to change the Trump movement completely, but I guarantee you that you can influence it for the better. And I, and I just want to encourage you to not completely wash your hands of it. Because I'll tell you one thing, you are not welcome. So, so Bill Clinton was uh, in San Diego... Wednesday, I think, if you went down to a Democratic Party headquarters and you tried to influence the Democratic Party in a positive direction, you are not welcome there. They will not listen to you. They do not care, but you are not welcome in the Democratic Party. Now, you may feel that you have as little in common with the Trump train as you do with the Democratic Party, but you are welcome on the Trump train. And you're saying, I don't want to be on the Trump train. I know. But if you get on it, you might be able to influence it for the better. And maybe not make it a good thing in your eyes, but at least make it less bad. And dare I say you have an obligation to do that. If you think that this train, in the name of the Republican Party, and you don't even care about party, in the name of the conservative movement, if this Trump train is going in the wrong direction, you have an obligation to get on it and make sure it doesn't get to where you are afraid it will. But if you just wash your hands of it. You are just as guilty as if you were on it and driving it straight off a cliff. I'm not saying you got to get on it and agree with it. By no means. But I suggest you should get on it and try to make it better. Even if just a little bit. H.L. Mencken. He was a uh, reporter like a hundred years ago. He said, democracy is the theory that the common people know what they want and deserve to get it good and hard. And I know you want the Trump supporters to get what they voted for good and hard. But this is also our country. And it's also in our name. I can't tell you the emails and Facebook messages I got from old college friends saying, look what your party did. So so this movement is, whether you like it or not, in your name. So we can abandon it and hand it over to its own sinful desires. Or we can get into it, be a part of it, and make it better. Let me give you a practical example here so you know what I'm talking about. Let's say the Trump train is going to 35% tariffs on all imports. Okay, now Trump supporters can say, no, that's not what we want, blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's just – so Donald Trump wants a 35% tariff on all imports. I think that is a terrible idea. Okay, awful, horrible will usher in a new Great Depression. Okay, I think it's a horrible, horrible, horrible idea. I can explain it in a million different ways. I think it's terrible. So that's where that train's going. I can wash my hands of it and let that train go in that direction. But I don't want that. to. I don't want it to go on it. Or I can jump on it, jump in the movement and say, hey, listen, guys, I know you want to do a 35% tariff, but what if first we lowered the corporate income tax down to 10%? And if the businesses and if the jobs don't come into America from overseas after we lower the corporate income tax, then we can talk about some tariffs. But first, let's just lower the corporate income tax, see what happens. And I bet there'll be some Trump supporters that say, oh, that's okay. Fair enough. Right, So you can positively influence the movement. If you disagree with, with Trump, do not hand it over. Do not hand over this movement to their own desires. Be a part of it. Be a light, guided in a positive direction where you think you can. Does that make sense? Now, if you're a Trump supporter and you think that I, I was just speaking disparagingly against you, uh, I, I remind you that I was speaking to people who think disparagingly against you. <laughs> right, there's a bunch of people out there who, who are really mad at you because you, they feel like you took from them what they've been, like the conservative movement that they've been building. That they saw as dead, Cruz as a leader. And they feel that you hijacked it from them. Fair or not? That's how a lot of Cruz supporters feel. How a lot of never Trump people feel. And they want nothing to do with you. So I'm appealing to them. You have plenty of time to be appealed to. You won. In the meantime, let's try to get some more people on your bandwagon. If that's what you want. 1-888-900- 3393. What do you think of that argument? Slater Radio on Twitter. S L A T E R Radio on Twitter. And you can search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook and we can keep this conversation going. 1 888 900 3393. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
3: This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Lad Crusaders. thanks for being here. So again, this this hour is for uh, crew supporters, Trump supporters. You got the next six months. Oh, look at that! Thanks, Jeremy. Jeremy just said I was never Trump, and you just changed my mind. Thank you. Um, now, real quick, I'm not I'm not here to say I'm not here to convince you that Trump is our savior, or amazing, or the best. I mean, I I'm not. I will never tell you what you should think. Or what you should do in a primary. That's not, not my job, um, but I want to present some arguments, and, and you can do what you'd like with it. So, I want to talk to Cruz supporters because Trump supporters, you got the next six months. Uh, and again, if I were if I were tasked with trying to convince Cruz supporters to jump on the Trump train, what would that argument be? Now, I'll tell you an argument that doesn't work. Right. An argument that doesn't work to a a Trump supporter goes to a Cruz supporter and says, hey, Cruz supporter who hates Donald Trump and everything he stands for. Come join us. Vote, vote for vote for our guy now. And they're like, no, your guy's awful. I don't don't want your guy. Oh, you're going to vote for Hillary then. And then people get defensive and then like that. That's not an argument. Sure. You may think that's true and that might be true, but that's not it's not persuasive. I'm not here just to make arguments. I want to make an effective argument. So I think about it like this. Imagine you're hiking in the woods with a group of friends. And you're pretty lost. In fact, you're very lost. It's getting dark. You're hungry and you're out of water. And you come to a split in the woods. And you think it's incredibly obvious that you need to go this way. That's the way to get back to the campground. But the whole rest of the group says you need to go. We all need to go the other way. Now, you know that that way is the wrong way. There's no way that that's the right way. Why do you idiots want to go that way? That way is dangerous. It's uphill. Obviously not what we intended to do when we started this hike. What are you guys thinking? You got to come this way with me. Look, it's downhill there. I can almost see my car because this is the way we got to go. And the group won't budge, so you decide to vote, and you vote, and you lose. What do you do? The entire rest of the group is going this this way that's wrong in your eyes. What do you do? You don't want to split up. It's dangerous. So you go, all right, fine. Let's go. And you go with the group. Now, If you really imagine yourself there, there's no way if you were outvoted, you would instantly 100% agree that now that's the right way, (laughs) but you would say, all right, fine, we'll go this way. And your attitude's a bit bitter because you know, it's the wrong way, but you go because why, why do you go? You go because you think you can make a difference. You think maybe, you know, we're going this wrong way, but maybe if I go with everyone, then I'll be able to see the right path. I would rather go this other way, but if everyone wants to go this way, that's fine. I'll do it. I'm not happy about it, but I'm going to go and I'm going to make the best of it for me and everyone else. And hopefully in the end, there will be a moment when I can give my two cents and I can salvage this group. That has to be better than A, going it alone or B, sitting down on the ground sulking because the group wants to go a different way than than you want to go. Now, again, crew supporters, I I know. <laughs> I know. And we'll talk more about this next. One eight eight nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Spread the word.
3: Mike Slater.
2: Crusaders, how are you? Thanks for being here. Happy Saturday. Got a couple calls. Let's do it. We'll go to uh, Caleb in Virginia to kick things off. Caleb, how are you, sir?
4: Howdy, Mike. I'm doing well. First-time listener. I uh, appreciate it thus far, and i uh, wow. wanted to respond to your argument.
2: Sure, please. Yeah, for, uh, absolutely. Go ahead.
4: Now, one thing that I was uh, thinking about is, Uh, A major premise of the argument is we would be a light and our voice would be heard in a time where we think that it's not going in a direction that we would want. Yes. Um, That would that gives uh, Trump a lot more, I guess, favorability than Clinton. Let's say let's say Clinton is the leader of the Democratic Party who uh, is based on principles and values uh, that make decisions not in the direction I would want to go. So that would be considered a, a dark time for me. Uh, mm-hmm. Trump, if, if, if elected, would have principles and values that I do not agree with, and he would lead the country in a given direction that I don't agree with. That would also, to me, be considered a dark time. Fair enough. Um, this, is, this is only my opinion. So yep, I'm with you. The, the, premise, the premise that my voice would be heard when I'm uh, a silent, silent majority, almost, uh, when, when that's not going in that direction... The only time for my voice to be heard is in one of these elections. So I guess the biggest bigger problem for me is not whether or not to to vote for Trump, because whether or not I vote for Hillary or I vote for Trump, neither one of them are are based on a party or themselves have values or principles that align with mine. So I have no indication that they will vote along lines on make decisions based on principles that I agree with. So what I'm struggling with is whether or not I compromise my values and principles, that would be almost like me voting Democrat, my opinion. or if I sacrifice um, an election by taking this time to form a party that actually does align with my values and principles. Um, so so that, that's, that's the only thing I would respond. It gives, it gives Trump a lot of leeway as to whether or not me just a, a random nuclear engineer, who's not going to be the press secretary to
2: have oh, my life be heard. I, and I won't, I won't either. Um, okay. Let me, a couple things. Do you mind if we chat for a second? So, of course. So I'm here on my local shows in California and California has like no influence in this. We never get to vote in the primary cause it never makes it does. We were all excited that California might be, you know, important. Um, and it's not. So we were like, we're a little bummed over here. Um, and then when we vote in the general election, I mean, I haven't looked at the polls, but I'm sure Clinton's going to win just because it's California, right? But you live in Virginia, sure. so this is a yep. very important question for you, right? Because Virginia is a little more up in the air than um...
4: it's, it's, it's it's relatively purple.
2: Yeah, so so your vote's very very important. So this is more this is less in California. It's kind of an academic conversation, but for Virginia, this is very important. So, um, one thing that as you were talking, I want to um, read or, or um be a little more clear on something I said. I don't think any of us, like you or I or anyone listening, can influence Hillary Clinton. And I don't think any of us can influence Donald Trump, like the person. But okay. I do think we can be influential on the people who agree with those people. Right? Does that make sense? So so I don't think I can ever be influential on Donald Trump. But I do think I can be influential on my 20 friends who really like Donald Trump. Okay. Right. But, so, but how so does that
5: influence he,
4: Donald Trump's decision making?
2: Um. I mean, I guess it doesn't specifically because could can you ever, I mean, is there anyone who can really directly influence Barack Obama? I don't know, but I think they can influence sort of what, what we as a country or we as a conservative movement think is the right thing to do. And then you hope that they sort of follow that movement, right? Right? I know that seems kind of, that seems kind uh, of weak need.
4: It would be one that, um, agrees with the values and principles so that they would Mm -hmm. vote down that line, make decisions that I would find. Okay. But um idea but that's an ideal case and that will never happen sure um, which i guess so my I bigger question is my, my argument is also uh, fallacious in that nature
2: yes okay so we're on the same page so i guess my bigger question is what group of people let's say uh, hillary clinton supporters or donald trump supporters which group of people is more likely to welcome you into their ranks with an open mind
4: uh and that with an uh, the the supporters themselves most likely um the standard GOP base.
2: So that's why, and a, I agree. I am, a,
4: I am a white, straight male. So, that's yes.
2: cool. <laughs> so th- <laughs> that alone makes you persona non grata on the democratic side. So I think that alone, it, f- I guess I don't want to say frustrates. That's a little dramatic, but it, it makes me, I'll, I'll go with it. It frustrates me a little bit when someone says, I'm going to wash my hands of this because I want to say, whoa, like you are so needed In this party, maybe now more than ever, I I got a tweet from someone a second ago and I I tweeted him back and I said, let's say the most evil person in the world became the president of the United States. And he was picking his right hand man, right? So the most evil person ever, like Hitler, was taking over America and he was picking his right hand man. I would want more than anyone for that person to be Caleb in Virginia, right? Because Caleb in Virginia is at least going to make him a little less evil as best he possibly can. So I guess what I point is, if you see the Republican Party, which you admitted is probably the group of people that will most likely welcome me, if you think that you can have any influence within the party and the people in the party, I think that's the place to be as opposed to running away from it. Does that make sense or am I okay. talking in circles?
4: It, it, it makes sense. And I think we're both talking in circles at this point. I'm sure some other uh, under under the individuals have some uh, worthwhile points as well. So. Yeah. Caleb, th- talk. It was a pleasure talking to
2: you. I appreciate you. Caleb. call back in again? And thank you for listening. First time. I hope I'm hearing right. Am I, um, I might not be listening properly. I apologize. I, ho- I hope I could hear your concerns. Right. Caleb. And, um, I hope it didn't seem like I'm talking down at you or at you. Um, cause this is, this is tricky here and I want to, I want to be empathetic and I want to, I want to be able to do this right. Cause this is really important. um, Let me make one last point, and then I want to go to another call. Um, Producer Flip here a second ago told me during the break. There are people on the left who believe, and I believe the left is being led by people who believe, that America is an inherently bad country. Right? We are, at our core, racist, misogynist, you name it, At our core, we are a force for bad around the world. We've done bad things. We are bad. We screw things up. We make everything worse. We're inherently bad. I think that's the left. At least Donald Trump believes that America is a force for good. Now, I don't agree with how he might go about that. And again, I'll just go back to tariffs. I think it's a horrible thing. But at least we're working with a basic foundational truth that America is good. <laughs> right? And I think we can build on that a lot easier than we can build on America is bad. And again, if we can direct people on the Trump train in a positive way, then I think I don't think you can just wash I don't think you can run away. I don't know. 888 900 3393 Let's go to um David who's in Alabama. David Roll Tide, how are you sir? Can you hear me David? Is David in Alabama there or no? No, David. Sorry, David. Um, all right, let me take an early break. Is that a cool, Flip? Because I want to come back and I want to make, I want to wrap up this argument. Um, I want to go back to a sermon from 1868, Henry Ward Beecher. Henry Ward Beecher. I think. Did we talk about this last week? I think we talked a little bit about Henry Ward Beecher, most famous man in America in the 1800s. Um, he was a preacher in Brooklyn. And he gave a sermon that I think we broke down last week, but I want to make it relevant to this situation uh, right here. Now, let me, oh, I should say one more thing. I'm sorry. Maybe this will speak more to you, Caleb. Um, if anyone wants to make an argument that they refuse to vote for the Republican Party person, they refuse to vote for the um, Democratic Party person, and they are out of principle, voting for the libertarian guy or willfully abstaining from the, ele- the presidential election and you're doing it because you- you're voting your conscience, I will never criticize you. I will not criticize that. You know, a lot of people will be like, oh, but if you don't vote, you're voting for Hillary. And you're thinking, yeah, but I, I got to vote my conscience because I, I got to look myself in the mirror for the rest of my life. I- I- I'm never going gonna- to criticize you for that if you're doing it for the right reasons. And if you really believe that voting for whatever you're going to do, Gary Johnson or whoever, if you really believe in your heart of hearts that you got to do that, I'm not going to criticize you. And I will never judge you for that. I want to be clear about that. And also, final point to Cruz supporters, don't be too discouraged because this is just one race. Right? It's the presidential race. kind of a big one. But don't stop being involved locally and keep supporting local conservative candidates, uh, mayors, uh, city council members school boards. All right, we got those races still to vote for. So whatever you do, don't just not go at all. You can go vote and leave the presidential ticket empty if you want, but vote for your mayor, vote for city council, do all those down ticket uh, ballots. Support conservative congressmen and women. There's more battles out there to win. So I totally get being upset and not wanting to vote, but don't give up totally there's still other things that we can uh that we got to accomplish and we want you there i want you there more than anyone 1-888-933-93 henry ward beat your next mike slater show spread the word
0: mike slater we will continue in a moment on the blaze radio network Weeks Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Oh my goodness, time is limited. Um, I think last week we talked about Henry Ward Beecher, most famous man in America in the 1800s. He was a preacher in Brooklyn. And he did a whole sermon, 1868, about how you can't wash your hands of evil like Pontius Pilate did when he handed Jesus over to be crucified. He literally put his... Hands in a bowl of water and washed his hands of it. Like, no, it's not that easy. You can't just wash your hands of wrongdoing. And Henry Ward Beecher outlined four ways that people think they are absolved of wrongdoing when they're really not. For instance, if you go tell someone else to do a bad thing instead of you doing it, you're still guilty. Or if you and a hundred other people do a bad thing, you're not one 100th guilty of that bad thing. You're, you're completely guilty of it. Each of you are completely guilty of it, right? So this is the one that's most damning from uh, Henry Ward Beecher, I think. Again, 1868, quote, wickedness which a man can prevent and which he does not prevent, he is guilty of doing. We are not morally responsible simply for the wicked, wickedness which we do. But for the wickedness which we can prevent as well. Now, you're a Cruz supporter. You did everything you could to stop the wickedness. You did everything you could. You saw wickedness in Trump and you tried to stop it. Trump's the nominee now. Are you done? can you wash your hands now? If you hate Trump, you think he's evil and he's going to go out and do evil things. Are you less guilty now because you think you've done enough to stop him? Ooh, think about that question. If you think Donald Trump is evil and going to do horrible things and you just go, I want nothing to do with this anymore. And he goes and does those evil things. Henry Ward Beecher says you're just as guilty because you could have prevented it. And you're saying, Slater, I tried to prevent it. I voted for Cruz. But you're not done yet. You're not done preventing it. Now the question is, what's the best way to prevent it? It's not to vote for Hillary because that's evil too. Again, the best way I think is to get into the movement and try to influence it in a positive direction. The goal now is not to stop Trump. There's no stopping it. It's to influence his movement, to direct it in a way that is less terrible, less horrifying, less destructive. And I want to be clear. I don't mean uh, you know if you can't beat them, join them. No, because that implies that you're just going to flip a switch and you're going to just love Donald Trump. I'm not saying that, but I think it is wise to jump perhaps on the Trump train and make sure it doesn't completely derail. And again, I'll I'll echo what I said about uh, said to Caleb a second ago. I hope it made sense, Caleb. And I say this because I don't. I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to run away because our country needs you so badly and there's so many people in this, on the Trump train that the best way for you to be influential to the most amount of people is to get on it. Not, not because I love it. Like I love Donald Trump now. No, no, no. But I want to influence the people on it. That's where you got to go. And I'll echo this again. If the most evil person in the the world took over America and he was picking anyone to be his right-hand man, I would want that person to be you. Not because you agree with that evil. Certainly not. But I want you right next to him so you can make his actions a little less evil. And I think the same is true with with the Trump train. You don't like it. You don't like Donald Trump. You don't like what he supports. You don't like his philosophy, his populism, all the rest. You couldn't beat it with Cruz, but maybe you can influence it from within. I hope that's clear. I know I made the same argument a couple of different ways, but I think that's the best one i got. Slater Radio on Twitter. Slater Radio Twitter. We'll take some phone calls, too, if you want. one 888 900 Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. for the You're listening to Mike Slater.
0: Part of the next generation of talk radio.
3: On the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Do you think Donald Trump needs to do
1: outreach now to try to heal some of the rifts in the Republican Party?
5: I don't care about the Republican Party. I don't care about the Democratic Party. You know, I'm tired of this party stuff, that we're going to do what's right for this party or we're going to do what's right for that party. Let's just get together and do what's right for the country. I think that's what all of us want.
2: Slider Cassette America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. It's Bobby Knight right there, former coach of Indiana. Um, I just think the perfect microcosm for this election is that in Indiana, Ted Cruz got the endorsement of the sitting governor, Mike Pence. And Donald Trump got the endorsements from the former basketball coaches of Indiana, Purdue, Notre Dame, and the former endorsement of the Notre Dame football coach. The endorsement of the former Notre Dame football coach. Like, and which, which of those endorsements would you rather have? <laughs> Donald Trump didn't go after the governor. He went after all the basketball coaches. Amazing. Anyway, that was Bobby Knight there. Um, Matt Sittman was visiting his family where he grew up in Altoona, Pennsylvania, central PA, beautiful country. Uh, Altoona, Pennsylvania is a lot like a lot of our country where the manufacturing jobs don't exist anymore and the rail yards are empty and the old downtowns are boarded up and it's where Donald Trump won 61% of the vote in the county. So Matt was visiting his parents in Altoona, Pennsylvania, when he read an article from David Brooks. So David Brooks is the uh, conservative columnist in the New York times, but being the conservative at the New York times, it's all pretty relative, right? So David Brooks, Oh, by the way, I I guess let's, let's title this segment. We'll title this segment out of touch. How about this? What me out of touch? Something like that. So here's David Brooks, uh, New York Times, quote, I was surprised by Trump's success because I've slipped into a bad pattern, spending large chunks of my life in the bourgeois strata, in professional circles with people with similar status and demographics to my own. It takes an active will to rip yourself out of that and go where you feel least comfortable. But this column is going to try and do that over the next few months and years. We all have some responsibility to do one activity that leaps across the chasms of segmentation that afflict this country. So he's saying, man, I, I, I totally blew that. I didn't see Donald Trump at all being successful just because I've been spending so much time in the New York city, in New York city with a bunch of rich people, <laughs> a bunch of rich liberals. I'm living here and I just, I don't get it. I don't get what people are going through and I've, I I totally misjudged everything. Now he wrote an article a couple weeks ago with a similar realization and admission. Again, that I hang out with New York City folk too much. I don't know what the rest of the country's like. And when I first read that, my first thought was just like what Matt Sitman's thought is, and it was you know good for him. Right, um, he admitted he was wrong, and not just wrong with the prediction, but wrong with just a lot of the way, the way he was doing his job I mean that's hard to do, especially publicly um good for him for recognizing why he was wrong, that he was out of touch, good for him for having some intellectual curiosity and wanting to be right and That was my first thought when i when I read David Brooks a week ago or so, and then same thing um Matt had the first original thought as well. But then Matt kept thinking about it and he said, and I'll quote here, it's rather disturbing that it took a vulgar authoritarian demagogue being on the brink of the Republican nomination for Brooks to realize that he might have intellectual and political blind spots when it comes to working class people and others straining straining under the post-recession economy. Could he really be serious? It baffles me that someone paid to observe the American political and cultural scene did not realize before the last few months just how many Americans were struggling or that the fallout from the 2008 recession might generate a populist-tinged backlash. Right, so first thought, David Brooks is like, oh, you know, good for you being honest. it's like, well, wait a second. How could you have been so far off in the first place? And isn't it interesting that it takes an act of will, that's his words, an act of will, in order for David Brooks to interact with working class folk. Like we're living on a different planet than he is. Right? <laughs> like an act of will to jump on a spaceship and spend years of my life fi- going to this place called the middle of the country. Gosh, it would be great if... if every pundit would visit... Anywhere outside their bubble. Because the longer they've been away from the country, the more delusional they've become. And I feel the same way. The longer, I'll give an example. So I've thought before. So I live in San Diego. And I thought before, you know, could I do a radio show from New York City? You know, Glenn used to do a show from New York City. I thought, could I ever do the show from New York City? And I, when I filled in for Glenn, I, I went to New York City to do it. Um. No, I could, (laughs) I couldn't, I couldn't do it. If someone asked me to do the show from New York City, I couldn't do it because over time it wouldn't be the same show. It would change me. It would, it would, it has to. It has to. I would just, I'd be so disconnected from what's important and life. And I'm not saying, but I just, I'm being honest with me. You may live in New York City and be like, I'm still connected. Okay. Um. I, I don't, I couldn't do it. Yeah, you know, I, I when I first moved to San Diego, I lived downtown San Diego, and uh, if I worked downtown, I, same thing. If I lived and worked downtown and sort of made downtown my bubble, I would lose connection with reality and lose connection with the vast majority of people, and it, and it wouldn't, I couldn't do it. And I think that's the same with our pundits. I think for a long time they've been stuck in their bubble and they've just become um, disconnected from reality. Every prediction from the paid pundit class was wrong. Everyone, remember all the stuff about Trump. Uh Trump has a stealing of 28% or what? he got 61% of the other state. Dana Lash has a new book. You know, the the title's Flyover Nation. You can't run a country you've never been to. You know, uh Nate Silver, you know the guy with Five, what is it? 538, whatever. Um uh, he's like the numbers guy and and someone found all the headlines that he wrote against Donald Trump. And all the Trump predictions and, and put them together and, you know, calm down. Trump won't win the nomination. Trump has a 5% chance of winning. Trump won't be the nominee and on and on and on. And, and Nate Silver's the, the numbers guy. He analyzes the numbers. And what a great microcosm for missing the point, right? For being completely unable to connect with actual human beings, right? He's got his nerd glasses on. Well, if, according to recent trends, blah, blah, blah. How, what are people feeling? talk to me about real life people have you never talked to one of those people before probably not cuz i'm a little busy over the numbers you can't run a country you've never been to now on that note there's one man whose perspective i i value the most it's victor davis hansen he is a professor at stanford He is a world-renowned expert, the world-renowned expert, on the classics, and specifically ancient warfare. I understand Slater, why do you, I mean, he's a smart guy, but why do you particularly trust or value Victor Davis Hanson? Because he's a fifth-generation farmer who lives on his family farm. He has a connection to the land and gets his hands dirty and that's important. And when you're a farmer, you 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 have a perspective that city folk don't have. You just have a perspective on life, a perspective on the truth, a perspective on patience, a perspective on um, on objective truth, time. I mean it's just like it's just a lot of life principles that just come to you from farming. But he kind of lives in both worlds because, again, he's a professor at Stanford. So anyway, he wrote this the other day. He said the wrong people are in the news. Instead of generals and small business owners and muscular workers, we instead see smarmy smart butts. You with me? We instead see smarmy smart, you know what, the pajama boys and mattress girls Pajama Boy is, um, I think, in the 2008 election. President Obama, uh, one of his print ads was this. I don't even know, like hip, like weakling hipster doofus kid. You know, and by kid I mean 25 year old wearing footy pajamas, drinking hot cocoa, and like vote for Obama. Like what? Like that's Pajama Boy. And then Mattress Girls, the girl from Columbia who claims she was raped when she wasn't, and she carried around her mattress all over campus. And across the graduation stage, even though she wasn't really raped. So we see smarmy, smart, you know what's the pajama boys and mattress girls of the world of TV who roll their eyes, wink, who roll their eyes, wink about a joke only the anointed get and smirk that what they say could have three different meanings. The Jon Stewart's, David Letterman's and Stephen Colbert's of smug Inc. The wrong people are in the news. And Victor David Hanson made a great analogy that Trump is Samson. So Samson in the Bible, I think it's in Judges, um, the short of this, Samson has supernatural strength. So again, long story short, but the Philistines gouge out his eyes and they chain him up and they make him, they put him to work by grinding grain, by, by just turning a giant millstone. So all day, every day, he just... Because he can't see. They took out his eyes. He just grinds this millstone, just pushes this millstone, right? So one day, Samson's being led out. And um, he's being led somewhere, I should say. And there's there he's in a, temp, he's in a temple, and there's like a party on the roof. I, I, I should go back and look. There's a party on the roof, and there's a bunch of people inside the temple as well. So he's being led out uh, to the group. And he decides to... And the Bible's not clear if he either there's two columns, he either pushes the columns apart or he pulls them together. But either way, he tears down the columns and the roof comes collapsing down and everyone inside the temple dies, himself included. That's what Bobby Knight was saying at the top of the hour there, saying, I don't care about the Republican Party. And listen to his tone of voice. He's like, I don't, what do you think he's got to do to unify the party? And the guy goes, he's like, I don't care. I don't care about the Republican Party. I don't care about the Democratic Party. What are you you talking about? Trump's just coming in, tearing down the columns and the whole thing's coming, crashing down. And I get the need for it. I get it. And I think the Republican Party has a major role in creating Trump. No doubt in my mind. How long... Could the Republican Party use you? How long could the Republican Party get us to turn a millstone and do their bidding and put us to work and gouge out our eyes by lying to us constantly? Oh, yeah. Next election. Next election. Next election. How long could they do that before we eventually decide to tear the temple down? Even if it means we're going down, too, because Samson didn't care. He knew he 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 was going to die too. Did it anyway. And again, the populist backlash, the people in charge, never saw it coming. They don't get it. 1-888-900-3393. Slater Radio on, uh, on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
3: You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Part of the next generation of talk radio. This is Mike Slater.
2: How are you? Thanks for being a happy Saturday. Um, I guess this this sort of uh, I got an argument. I think this is the last of these kind of arguments we want to do today. We got other things to do today. Um, oh, I want to talk about what the bathroom wars are really about. We'll do that in the next hour. You know, the whole transgender bathrooms. Like, what's the what's what's this what's the deal here really? Like, why, why why did this become a thing all of a sudden? So we'll do that in a little bit. Uh, One more argument, though, for never Trump people. So I was driving home Tuesday night after the results. And I thought, what's the worst that could happen if Trump wins? And again, I'm wondering, I did this. We did this. We kicked off the show and I said, you know, what if I was tasked with convincing a never Trump person to vote and jump on the Trump train? What would that argument be? And that's what we did when we kicked off the show. Um, and, this, and so I was thinking about that when I was driving home Tuesday and then I thought, okay, well, what's the worst that could happen if Trump wins? And I thought of a few things. First, Trump could impose a massive tariff on all imports, which would be devastating. Right, A 35% tax on everything. So we couldn't afford to buy anything. But then other countries would put a 35% tariff on the things we make. So we wouldn't even be able to sell anything, which means we wouldn't make anything. So... I mean, that would truly bring in a worldwide depression. Again, just like it does every time that we do it. Um, So that could happen. Worst thing that can happen if Trump wins, uh, Trump could be a pro-business candidate. And and you're thinking, well, isn't that good? Um, No, I'm not pro-business. I'm pro-free market. Pro-business can be cronyism, right? Handing out taxpayer money to favorite friends, going after businesses that Trump doesn't like. And when you have cronyism, then you're going to have more lobbying. And when you have more lobbying, government grows because they're handing out more of your money. And they're only handing out your money to the favorite few, of course. And we're against cronyism, so that could happen. Uh, What's the worst that could happen if Trump's president? He could tell the military to kill civilians and the military higher-ups would refuse, as one general said he would have to do. And there'd be chaos amongst the ranks of our military, making us even weaker abroad in every sense of the word. So that, that could happen. happen right? uh, Worst that could happen if a Trump presidency, he would go after every reporter who says a negative word about him. And by go after, I mean espionage act. I mean, right now he can just go after him on Twitter, but he could use the espionage act if he was president, right? Throw him in jail. Same goes for bloggers and you know anyone else. Throw him in jail for dissent. This happens in pretty much every country around the world, so... Why wouldn't it, why couldn't it also happen here? And why wouldn't it be Trump? He could do it. Um, worst that could happen with Donald Trump, he could appoint a liberal to the Supreme, uh, to the Supreme Court, right? Uh, pass uh, some ruling on uh, against the Second Amendment, and then that lasts forever. Okay, that could happen. Um, I could go on, right? That, just a few things that I thought, worst that could happen. Pretty bad, right? Usher in a depression, increase crony favors, create a military coup, solidify a progressive court, jail all dissenters. I mean, right, that's worst case scenario. So all those things could happen. Or not. Or none of those things. Or he could just do some things you disagree with and some things that are good and really just play a lot of golf and bask in the prestige that comes with being the president of the United States. And so what's your argument here? Well, my argument is if you really think that these things will happen, you have to do everything you can to stop them. And there's two things you can do. I guess three. You could sit out the election and protest. You could vote for Hillary to keep Trump from winning, but then I guess all those things could also happen with her. Actually, I can guarantee you some of those will happen. But then the third option is to stay in the movement. I don't think you can stop the Trump train at this point. It's what the primary's for, and you want it but you can alter its course to make sure that none of those things happen. And that's got to be worth something, right? I got to run here, but there's a poem written by Ella Wilcox in the late 1800s. And it's a poem dedicated to the man to be. I think that's what it's called, the man to be. And she talks about our founding fathers and revolutionary war heroes. But she says the man that I really want to praise... Is the man to be. I know he is coming to help, to guide, to save. And that's my argument here to guide. This hour is made for you. And the movement now for you is to help and to guide and to save what you might consider to be a lost movement, but don't give up on it. Influence it.
0: This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the
3: Blaze Radio Network.
0: Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Slater, thanks for being here. Uh, Flip, did I send over the clip of Lou Holtz? Um, we me get that one ready here real quick. So, we don't have time to do the full background here, but... Oh, <laughs> uh, where to start? <laughs> uh, I'm not saying this is the right thing. I'm not saying this is a good thing. But what I'm saying is you need to throw away everything you thought you've ever known about elections. Throw it all away. The game is totally and completely changed. I, I thought of an analogy the other day. It's, it's as if you were teaching your 10-year-old son how to dribble a basketball, and your son said, oh, we don't, we don't dribble anymore in basketball. There's no more dribbling. And then... You're like, okay, um, okay, but here's how you shoot a basketball. And you're like, oh, we don't shoot there's no more shooting in basketball. There's no more you're Like, what do you do? Ah, oh, we just run around bump into each other. That's basketball now. And you're like, Well, that's not basketball. Ah, game's changed. And like that'd be so hard to accept. You're like, no, the basketball I know it's like this. And the kids are like, ah, that's not it anymore. Like it's to- And that's the same thing with elections. It has totally changed. And the sooner you uh, accept it, and I'm not saying it's right or good, but the sooner you accept it, um, the sooner things will make sense. And, and how Trump is so good at persuasion and marketing and branding. Cruise camp played the old game. Like I said, with Indiana, they went after the sitting governor's endorsement. Trump didn't. Trump went after all the basketball coaches in Indiana. And as soon as he got Bobby Knight's endorsement, it was done in Indiana. It was done. Now, from for the last couple of months, we've been analyzing this, this uh, race from a different perspective um, because we realize that Trump is not running a political campaign. He's running a business negotiation. And everything he does is different than has ever been done in politics ever before. But sometimes I still fall back on what I think should happen and how I think it should look. And I get really confused whenever I do that. And then I have to tell myself, no, Slater, you're looking at it the old way. Don't look at it the old way. Look at it the new way. So here's an example. I want to play this clip here. This is uh Lou Holtz. He did a Lou Holtz, former football coach in Notre Dame, which is in Indiana. He endorsed Donald Trump. And I heard this endorsement for the first time. And I thought, what? I thought, like, <laughs> so this that's the dumbest reason. What? I got that is, I got like super frustrated. I said that is so stupid. Who's going to listen to that? See what stands out to you. I want to play it twice. why want not play it the first time. Look at or listen to this the old way of politics and see uh, see what you think about this endorsement.
6: Greetings, I'm Lou Holtz, and I wholeheartedly endorse Donald Trump as the next president of the United States. There are nothing but winners in Indiana. Main reason I'm endorsing him, I've played his golf course. I stayed in his hotel. He does nothing but go first class in everything. He wants his country to be first class as well. Thank you for listening.
2: What? I, see, I heard that. And I said, whoa, the, the main reason you're voting for Donald Trump is because you've played on his golf courses and stayed in his hotel? What are you talking about? That is the stupidest reason I've ever heard for voting for someone for president. That's your main reason. That could be like your 23rd reason, but your main reason, goodness gracious, what in the world? And I would accept almost anything. I would accept uh, my main reason for endorsing Donald Trump is because he is going to be strong on national defense and defeat ISIS. I'd be like, oh, okay, Lou Holtz, cool. I've, I've played his golf courses. And it just hit me just a day or two ago. I said, Slater, you you looked at it the old way. You looked at it the way that says you should go get the endorsement of the sitting governor of Indiana. But look at it the new way. Why would you even want the endorsement from the former football coach of Notre Dame in the first place? Right? The old way says that that's a dumb reason to vote for someone for president. But the new world that we live in now. Says that's a great reason to vote for president. Why? There's one word that we've been saying for months now that Donald Trump is going to uh, do more of. He's going to exhibit more of. Do you remember it? It's kind of a long shot. You may not. We haven't done it in a while. It starts with the letter P. The word is prestige. That's going to be Donald Trump's entire branding and marketing and messaging moving forward. Prestige. And we've proven this in many different ways in the past. I said you're going to see a lot more of his buildings. You're going to see a lot more of his golf courses. This is why he does his press conferences from Mar-a-Lago. You're going to, that's why he does his uh, stump speeches from outside of his jet. You're going to see a lot more prestige from Donald Trump. And we talked all about that word and what it means and, and the history of it. And we've we talked all about it before. We don't have time to do it now, but listen to this again. Same clip. But throw away everything you thought you knew and look at it through the lens of prestige and see if it's see if you can understand what Lou Holtz is trying to do here.
6: Greetings, I'm Lou Holtz, and I wholeheartedly endorse Donald Trump as the next president of the United States. There are nothing but winners in Indiana. Main reason I'm endorsing him. I've played his golf course. I stayed in his hotel. He does nothing but go first class in everything. He wants this country to be first class as well. Thank you for listening.
2: He does nothing but go first class in everything. He wants this country to be first class as well. And there's nothing but winners in Indiana. These are, first of all, identity points of persuasion. They're not arguments. They're not. It's not reason. It's not logic. It's identity. I'm a winner. I'm first class. Or really, Trump's a winner. Trump's first class. I want to be a winner. I want to be first class. I'm going to associate myself with Trump. That's that level of persuasion. But it's also prestige, golf courses, hotels, success, money. That's the new... I shouldn't say new. It's an old form of persuasion, but new when it comes to our presidential politics, for better or worse. I want to give you an example of this. I want to go to Art of the Deal. Um, I want to read this just just so you can know that this is how Trump has been operating for decades. Okay, This, This is how Trump always thinks, and this is why from the jump we said Trump's not running a political campaign. He doesn't know how to do that but he knows how to run a business negotiation and he knows how to market himself and his brands. And he's been doing it forever. So this is a a little story about Trump tower in New York city. Trump tower started in 1979 and it finished in 1983. And he's telling the story in art of the deal about how they sold their apartments and how they were competing against museum tower. So museum tower was another beautiful tower built at the exact same time, a block and a half away from Trump Tower. It was built above the Museum of Modern Art. Okay, we got it. So so Trump Tower and Museum Tower, both built at the same time, both big, tall, beautiful new apartment complexes um, competing against each other. So here's Trump in Art of the Deal. By all rights, it, Museum Tower, should have been a fantastic... Wait, hold on. Hold on. Hang tight. Hang tight. Okay. Earl of Preston sent me a tweet. I just want to be clear before I move forward. He says, no, Mike, that's not looking at it the old way. That's looking at it the right way. Okay, I want to be clear again. I'm not saying the old way is wrong. I'm not saying the new way is right. I'm just saying one's the old, one's the new. I'm not putting a judgment on it about what's right or wrong. I'm just saying what is, okay? I, right? I want to be clear there. I'm not saying the old way is wrong. I'm not saying the new way is right. Okay, Earl? I'm just saying what it is for better or worse. You put the judgment on it. I'm not commenting on that. I'm just trying to get you to recognize it's different. Abby wrote me. She said, bingo, the paradigms have shifted. I felt this for weeks. Okay. All right, here we go. By all rights, museum tower should have been a fantastic success. The connection with the museum was very prestigious, the location was good, the architect was a big name, and the developer made it clear he would spare no expense to build the best. However, Trump Tower far outsold Museum Tower. First of all, the shape of Museum Tower wasn't inspiring. The facade with its multicolored glass, it wasn't unusually striking, and the lobby was just another lobby. And then he gives another couple of reasons that aren't relevant here. Finally, museum tower was marketed poorly. The ads were dull. There was no attempt to create excitement and it came off as just an average building. Dare I say low energy building. All right, we'll stop here for one second. So replace Trump tower with Trump and replace museum tower with Hillary Clinton. And it's the exact same story. And look at the other Republican candidates. Same story. The other Republican candidates are like Museum Tower. They had all the reasons to be successful on paper, but Trump outmarketed them, outbranded them, outpersuaded people. Right? The, the, the other the Republican candidates, their facade, there's nothing unusually striking about them. Just regular politicians. The lobby was just another lobby, their policy papers were just new policy papers. And they were marketed poorly, dull, no, no ability to uh, create excitement. They came off as just an average building slash politician as opposed to Trump. So here we'll go back to Art of the Deal. By contrast, we took our strengths and promoted them to the skies. From day one, we set out to sell Trump Tower not just as a beautiful building in a great location, but as an event. Are you seeing the parallels here to his political campaign? We positioned ourselves as the only place for a certain kind of very wealthy person to live. The hottest ticket in town. We were selling fantasy. Obviously, we were the natural choice for people connected to show business in the sense that we'd created something very glamorous. I still remember one morning, just before we began selling apartments, one of my salespeople rushed into my office. Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump, we're in trouble. Museum Tower just announced its prices, and they're much lower than ours. Okay, time out. Think of all the things in this campaign so far. When a political advisor would run and go, Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump, we're in trouble. And any other politician would have freaked out alongside him. But Trump didn't. He doubled down. Think of the taco bowl from the other day. I love Hispanics. No one would have done that, but there's a reason he did. Maybe we could talk about that later. But anyway, he said, I thought for a minute and I realized no, the opposite's true. Museum Tower had just done itself damage because the sort of wealthy people we were competing for don't look for bargain apartments. They want the best, not the best buy. And by placing apartments prices lower than ours, Museum Tower just announced that it was not as good as Trump Tower. I'll stop here. You get the idea that he's running a business negotiation. So when Lou Holtz says the main reason why he's supporting Donald Trump for president is because he's played his golf courses. In a rational world, that makes no sense. But we're not living in that world anymore, Earl. In a rational world where it makes more sense to buy an apartment at Museum Tower... Because it's just as beautiful and it's lower priced. And in a rational world where Scott Walker should have been the nominee, I mean, right, on paper, right, just on paper. In a rational world, Lou Holtz saying, I want him to be president because I played his golf courses. That makes no sense. But in the world we're living in today, where you're buying an event and a fantasy and excitement, and prestige there's no better endorsement and Hillary doesn't stand a chance Slater Radio on Twitter Mike Slater Show the Blaze Radio Network spread the word
3: you're listening to
2: Mike Slater
3: on the Blaze Radio Network
2: Slater. Slater Slaters, I want to go right to Peggy in Massachusetts who was uh, listening earlier when uh, Caleb from Virginia called in and I, and I wasn't sure if I quite heard Caleb properly and I, and I want I don't know if I was listening properly and, and was understanding him uh, fully. So uh, Peggy, how are you today? Good, uh,
5: Mike. Thanks for taking
2: my call. Out. My pleasure um, and I hate and we have- only have 90 seconds but, but go ahead. I'll
5: go quickly. I'm not trying to speak for Caleb but I believe what he was trying to say is even if we support the supporters of Trump or Hillary, it's not going to make any difference. You know, they think they're God almighty, Kings, Queens, whatever, that whatever their decision is, is their decision. Cause they know best. So no matter, just like with the Republican Party, you give us the house, you give us the Senate, we will, um, you know, change and we'll vote for this nothing changed so Mm -hmm. no matter how much we support you know the trump supporters and try and bring them over to you know the way we think it's not going to matter because trump is not going to change and that was very evident through this whole primary process even with his advisors trying to change him nothing happened
2: yeah i think that's really well said peggy thank you for calling in thank you for articulating that clearly um so I think that's really well personified by. Do you remember the moment? I guess it was day before Indiana Monday, too, when the the Trump when when Cruz went out and tried to talk to the Trump supporters, and the Trump supporters just had this smug look on his face with the "I was a jerk" back to Ted Cruz, and that sort of personifies the Trump voter, rightfully or wrongfully. Um, I would say yes. Right now emotions are hot. No one's really thinking clearly, um, but stick with it. Stay alongside, be patient, and the time will come when they'll be looking for wisdom and guidance, and I hope you're standing right next to them, Peggy. Mike Slater Show, spread the word.
0: You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater in three, two, one. you You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Slater Crusaders, how are you? America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. Happy Saturday. Happy Kentucky Derby Day. Um, I think this concludes our presidential coverage for the day. Thank goodness. Uh, I want to turn to uh, something different here. I read a great article the other day in the National Review. I think it is spot on. It's one of those articles when you read it and you're like, oh, that that's it. And now once I get it, now I'm seeing all these other things uh, come into play that that reinforce it and make a lot of sense. So the question is, what's really driving the bathroom wars? What's this really about? It's written by Rachel Liu. What's this obsession with gender lately, and, and specifically transgenderism? Like, where did this come from? Like, like I, I've never heard this stuff in my life, and now all of a sudden, it's the most important civil rights issue of our era. Men going into the women's restroom—like, what, what? How it happened here, and why is this? such an important thing all of a sudden. Let's start from the way beginning, okay? Because there's a lot here. Eh, I don't want to get too confusing. Let me go one step first. Um, There's not just like, transgenderism, it's being pushed. It's promoted. It's It's celebrated. And and not only this, but I, I read an article the other day telling parents to not let the doctor give his opinion on what your newborn's gender is. Okay, so you're a new mom. You're in the delivery room. You have a baby. Don't let that doctor give his opinion on whether or not your baby's a boy or a girl. It's because it's just his opinion. It's, the baby's not a boy or a girl. It's an infant. So wait until it's grown up, and then it can decide what gender it wants to be. Okay, let me be very clear here, because I know this can get confusing. The left is eliminating the concept of gender. Why? Because the left hates objective truth. And there is no greater in-your-face objective truth than gender and the human body. And if they can eliminate the concept of gender, well, that's a foundational truth. And everything that's built on top of that will crumble as well. The left hates, and by everything on top of that, I mean family, marriage, Faith, you name it. It's all based on the very foundational objective truth of male and female. And if they can eliminate the concept of gender, then it's going to be much easier to tear down everything else. Just think, on Facebook, there's 58 gender choices. Why? Because if there's infinite gender choices, and now the new thing is that any given day you can choose your gender, one day you can be a boy, one day you can be a girl. I'll get to that in just a second here. If that's true, or if that's the case now, then there's really no such thing as gender at all. Of ge- as gender at all. It doesn't exist. And if that doesn't exist, then, well, marriage doesn't exist between a man and a woman, right? Obviously, because there's no such thing as man and woman. And the nuclear family doesn't exist because the nuclear family is a man and a woman, and there's no such thing as a man and a woman. And religion doesn't exist because, on, you know, God created man and God created a woman. And there's no such thing. So all God's all wrong now, too. Do you see how that's a foundational truth? If they can tear down this, then there's nothing left standing That's the root of the movement. This is not because Caitlyn Jenner needs to go to the bathroom. It's certainly not because there's been some great scientific breakthrough in gender science. It's progressivism and the broader movement to eliminate the concept of absolute objective truth. And what better way to do that than to eliminate the concept of male and female? Does that make sense? To the left, everything's relative. Right and wrong is relative. No such thing as right and wrong. Who are you to say to each his own? You can't judge. It's my body. Even when it's not your body, it's a completely distinct baby's body with different blood type and DNA and everything. Truth doesn't matter anymore to the left. And they need to make everything relative. Now marriage is one effort on the left, right? That's one institution to destroy the next conquest is the human body because it's the most objectively true thing that exists. I mean, you you can tear down a Western tradition. That's easy. You just call it racist. You can tear down a religious faith. You just call its followers bigots. But you can't destroy something that we all realize each and every day to be true. And that is that I am a male or I am a female. But that's exactly what the left has to go after. I'll never forget ten years ago I was a junior in college. I was in my dorm room, fourth floor, J E. My roommate blocker bust through the door. He was a pre med guy. And he said, Slater, you're not gonna believe what I learned in class today. And he told me all about gender fluid fluidity or gender being gender fluid. And how there's a spectrum of gender. And how bisexual is a politically incorrect term. Because bisexual implies that there are only two genders. This was 10 years ago. This was crazy stuff going on in a college campus. And now it's in our high schools. Last week, they put a new transgender bathroom in a a high school in Los Angeles. And the news was there. And they interviewed someone. One of the students. And the student said one day you feel like a girl, another you might feel like a boy, so you should get to choose which bathroom you want to use on any given day. Now let's be very clear. It's not about the bathroom. (laughs) The bathroom. Transgender people have been going to different bathrooms. It's not about the bathroom. The bathroom is being used as a tool to promote the concept of one day you can feel like a boy, the next day you can feel like a girl. Now, One day you may feel like a boy or feel like, a, but that doesn't make you a boy or a girl. That's the objective truth of the matter. Caitlyn Jenner is still a man. And even if he goes through surgery, he doesn't have ovaries. And his DNA is still XY. This is truth. The left calls it body realism and they hate it because they hate all objective truth. And if they can eliminate the concept of gender, then it's all gone. Now, I want to be clear here. They're not going to change your mind. Like, There's no way one day you're going to be like, you know what? There is no such thing as gender anymore. <laughs> like, this, like, You will always believe that there is a man and there is a woman or male and female and people with XY chromosomes and people with XX chromosomes. You will always believe that. But it's the next generation. Teachers often email me and say they've been teaching for 20 years, and they've never had anyone say they're transgendered, and now they have six transgender students in their fifth grade classroom. Right? It's like, what? And again, kids in high school are being taught this. And again, Facebook, 58 different genders, right? So that if there's 58 of something, it doesn't exist. I mean, you know what I mean? 58 of those things, it's like, ah, oh, well, whatever. One day I feel And it's just, if gender is something that you can just like, click on a box, have 58 choices and just randomly pick. I mean, you know what I'm saying? There's no, it doesn't exist anymore. At least the concept of male and female. Again, if they can pull this off, there's nothing they can't achieve. What else could they hold on to? Could we, excuse me, what else could we hold on to? If the most foundational objective truth of all is eliminated from our culture and society. That's what the bathroom wars are all about. one 888 900 Slater Radio on Twitter. I want to come back with my favorite poem of all time. I only want to quote one line of it. But I want to encourage you to read the whole darn thing. It's so good. We'll do it next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
3: On the Blaze Radio Network, eight eight nine hundred thirty three
0: ninety three. Mike Slater is on.
2: Crusaders, how are you? Oh, I forgot to look up this quote. All right, sorry. Cam, uh, Camille Paglia. I'm sorry. I told myself to look it up. All right, here we go. So, Camille Paglia, feminist, interviewed the other day about masculinity on campus. Um, here it is. Our university system, anyth- in our university system, anything that is remotely masculine is identified as toxic, intrinsic to rape culture. A utopian future is imagined where there are no men. We're all genderless mannequins. Okay, you with me? I know that sounds crazy that the left's goal is to, now, again, left leaders, the leaders of the left, not like your Democrat friend at work, but like the leaders of the left, is to eliminate the concept of uh, gender. So here it is. Here's a feminist, Camille Paglia, no conservative. A utopian future is imagined where there are no men. We're all genderless mannequins. That is the goal. Camille Polly did an interview the other day and talked about how um, the downfall of every civilization in history, Egypt, Babylon, you name it. We became narcissist and selfish and birth rates go down and we become sexually free, whatever that means. And society collapses. And it's happened countless of times, and we think we're different. And we think we can go off and do our own thing and make up our own truth, but that truth will smack us in the face when it's good and ready. And that's why my all-time favorite poem, it's called The Gods of the Copybook Headings. It's by Rudyard Kipling. And I'll be honest with you. I was with some friends the other day, and uh, one of them quoted Rudyard Kipling's poem, If... And I said, you know, there's another Rudyard Kipling poem. And I've I've read it a hundred times. I don't understand a word of it. Like, I, I I truly have, I've heard people reference it. I've read it places. I've read the whole poem a bunch of times. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, it's like I'm reading Japanese. Like, I don't, I don't know any of it. So we were on a long car ride and uh, four of us in the car. So one of them whipped out their phones and like total nerves. We broke down the poem. and It was one of my favorite moments of my life. So it is amazing. Please read this poem, study it, analyze it, talk about it with friends, break it down with friends. It is perfection from start to finish, life-changing. The gods of the copybook headings. So here's the short of it. I got three minutes. Um, what are the, co- what is, what is the gods of the copybook headings? So back in England, hundred years ago, this poem was written in 1916. 1916? Um, I think 1916. What? 1919. 1919. So 100 years ago, teachers in England would have their students write uh, different maxims, right? Different truths, different sayings over and over on the top of their notebooks. So the top of the notebook was called a copybook heading. So the gods of the copybook headings is a word for truth. It means truth. And then you have the gods of the marketplace. And that's more than lies. It's, it's culture. It's modern culture, which is full of lies, which today is progressivism. So it's a poem about truth versus modern culture. And it's a story about how truth, since the beginning of time, says, do this. But we never do it. We think we're so much smarter, so much wiser, so much more powerful. So we do our own thing and things go horribly wrong and we get burned. But then we think we got it figured out this time and we go off and we do our own thing. And not only that, but we mock the truth. These laws of physics and these laws of life, we mock them. We do our own thing, but then the truth catches up to us when, uh, whenever it's ready. And smack us in the face again. And the whole poem is about how this process, we do it over and over and over again, and we never learn, and we never accept the truth, and we never follow what we know is true and wise. And I love this line right here. Rudyard Kipling says, as it will be in the future, it was at the birth of man. So since since the beginning of time, and it's always going to be this way, there are only four things certain since social progress began. Again, social progress, modern culture. There's only four things that are certain. That the dog returns to his vomit, it's Proverbs 26, and the pig returns to her mire, Second Peter 2, and the burnt fool's bandaged finger goes wabbling back to the fire, all right? So we're all, are you with me? The dog's going to return to its vomit, the pig's going to go back to its filth. And the burnt idiot's bandaged finger is going to go waving back at the fire. Right, You already got burned once, but you're going to wabble your finger all the way back to the fire again. You're saying, so those are only three truths. What's the fourth? The fourth truth is that modern culture will again be proven wrong. So i bring this all up. And again, please try to break down the poem. It is awesome. The Gods of the Copybook Headings by uh, Rudyard Kipling. There is a lie, many lies, but the one in particular, one lie in particular in modern culture, and just be aware. And the lie is that there is no difference between males and females. Now, the reason for this, if you want to go a little deeper, because I got a minute actually, is the left believes in um, egalitarianism. So egalitarianism is the belief that all people are equal and deserve equal rights and opportunities. And America is an egalitarian country, right? We, the people, and everyone's endowed with certain rights from our creator and all that. But the word's been taken over to mean that we're all equal in every way, not just equal rights, but we're equal in everything we do. And that's just not true. I'm not as good at basketball as LeBron James, but it's more than just that. It's, and then to bring it back to the gender thing, it's, it's, we're all equal But if we're all equal, if you take it to an extreme, then again, it means there's no difference between us, right? And if there's no difference between us, between man and woman, then it means they're the same. And man and woman are not the same. They shouldn't be the same. We don't want them to be the same. We want women to have certain strengths and we want men to have certain strengths. That's a good thing. But because they have this fetish for egalitarianism and equality, that's part of that goal is to eliminate gender completely. That's the only way that they believe they can reach true equality to genders is just to eliminate them completely. Right? So the lie again, in modern culture is there's no difference between males and females. And I don't mean, you know, that the women's soccer team should make as much as the men's soccer team. I mean that the goal is that there's literally no biological difference between males and females. And if they can deny that truth then it's game on. And I don't know what's next for the left. I don't know what battle they're going to wage next. But it's going to make transgenderism seem like Elvis shaking his hips, right? I mean, it's And, it, and then it's going to be even more important for you to stand with the truth. Not the truth as culture sees it. But as the actual objective truth of time and of all time. And you have to be the one, and if you read the poem, this line will make sense. You have to be the one to outlast them all. Stick with what is true and stick with the belief that there is such thing as truth. Even that is going to be an extremist position today. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
0: Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Mike Slater.
2: Oh, Slater Chris Slater. Thanks for being I got one last serious segment here I want to share with you. Uh specifically, I don't know, it's for everyone, but mostly for um cruise supporters. Now you gotta give me the whole eight minutes. Cause I promise you I'm gonna end on a good note. Read this from um Dennis Prager the other day. And he was saying, yes, we have fought in wars that were awful and could have gone the other way very easily. Revolutionary War, Civil War, one and two, I mean, they, they all could have gone very differently. Uh, the Great Depression is, was much worse economically than, than what we're going through today. There were more riots and unrest during Vietnam. But, Prager says the pessimism today is what's disturbing. It's what's concerning. Because there are very distinctive values that America was founded on that are in jeopardy like never before. And you're saying, hold on, Seder, aren't you being pretty pessimistic right now? Hang tight, I'll get there. First, some, some major foundational truths as we've been talking about today, that, that are up in the air. First of all, free speech. Free speech today to millennials, uh, hate speech is, is unacceptable. 40% of people between 18 and 34, 40% said offensive statements should be outlawed. <laughs> and then, of course, the question is, well, who determines what's offensive? Is what I'm saying right now offensive? Is this hate speech? Should this be outlawed, what I'm, what I'm saying today, right now? In that world, yeah. And that's what 40% of young people think. 47% of Americans between 18 and 29 believe that food, shelter, and healthcare are a right that the government should provide. So that means you got about half of young people believe that they have a legitimate claim on the labor and earnings of other people. All because of their things that they think are necessary, whatever that even means. What's necessary? Who determines that? It's half of young people. More than half of young Americans don't support capitalism. I'm quoting from Dennis Prager here, the source of the prosperity they enjoy and the only economic system that has ever lifted mass numbers of people out of poverty. Capitalism is no good. When young Americans see pictures of the founders, they do not see the great men that most Americans have seen throughout American history. They see white males who were privileged and owned slaves. The belief that certain fundamental rights are God-based is reviled outside of conservative religious circles and held by fewer and fewer Americans. The view that male and female are distinctive identities. One of the few unquestioned foundational views of every society in history is being obliterated. That's what we talked about in the last half hour. One is deemed a hater just for saying that one believes that a child does best starting out life with a married father and mother. The ideas that America should be a melting pot or that all Americans should identify as American are now unutterable in educated company. Indeed, many college campuses do not have an American flag on their campus because some students regard it as offensive, representing imperialism and capitalism. In addition, virtually every major institution is in decay or disarray, religious institutions. For most of American history, the most important institutions in everyday American life are becoming irrelevant. And a larger number of of Americans than ever before do not identify with any religion. The traditional family has become nothing more than one of the many options open to Americans. For the first time in American history, there are more unmarried women than married women. One last part here. The universities, outside of the natural sciences and math, are an intellectual fraud. In terms of ability to think clearly, they actually make most students dumber than before they entered college. American academia is by and large idiotic. And finally, natural state and city governments have largely become Ponzi schemes, racking up levels of debt that will crush the economy of the country sooner or later. And then he says, I will, this is Dennis Prager. I will not end on a happy note because there isn't one, but neither do I despair. One doesn't fight only when one is optimistic. One fights because it's the right thing to do. And because America remains, as Lincoln said, the last best hope of Earth. So, a f- couple things. First, there's always been, bar- uh, been barbarians outside the gates. Okay? This isn't the first time in history when things have looked tough. And as Prager said, things have been much tougher. Wars, economic depressions, social unrest, stuff like that. But never before again have there been so many foundational truths questions. I, I, I think of it like this: in many times in our history, we've run off a cliff, right? Civil War, whatever you, you name the time, you name the time period, we 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 run off a cliff. But there's always been a rope there that we can grab onto and pull ourselves back up on. That rope is. god given rights that rope is private private property rights that rope is free speech that rope is capitalism that rope is religion that rope is traditional family that rope is education now we cl- we grab that rope we grab the rope of truth if you will pull ourselves back up and then try it again and then we screw up and we run off the cliff by accident or get pushed off or whatever it is but then we're always able to grab back on to that rope of truth. What makes today different than any other time in history is we are intentionally cutting the rope. Right? We're saying, nah, capitalism is evil. Nah, God, there's no such thing as God let alone God giving our rights. Government gives us rights. They can define what they are or what they aren't. No one has a right to their property anymore. I want food so I'm going to get the government to take money from someone else to give me food no such thing as free speech if it defends you like we're fraying the rope we're cutting the rope that has saved us so many times so what's going to happen is eliminating capitalism and growing our government like these things aren't going to kill us but something will make us run off a cliff and then there won't be any more rope to hang on to to pull ourselves back up are you see what i'm saying Something will come along that will push us off the cliff and we're not going to have anything to grab onto because we don't, we don't believe in God anymore. We don't have any religious foundation. We don't have uh, 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 nuclear families. We don't have a strong family. We don't, we don't have these things that used to save us. Our goal has to be to stop getting people to cut, stop, stop cutting the rope. We're always gonna fall back off the cliff. That's what the gods of the copybook heading poem's all about, right? We're always gonna make mistakes, we're always gonna fall off the cliff, there's always gonna be barbarians just outside the gates. It's never gonna change. You can't stop that. But there's no reason to attack the thing that saves us every time we get pushed off or run off the cliff. And that's my goal is to get people to stop stop doing that. Stop cutting the rope. All right, I'm gonna end on a happy note. There's a, uh, a poem slash prayer that is uh, out there. It's attributed to Sir Francis Drake, who was a sailor from England in the 1500s. The problem is he didn't say it, but it's good nonetheless. And this, this is why I dedicated this segment to Cruise supporters who uh, perhaps feel a little dejected, a little, um, you know, hurt, a little confused, angry, whatever, what a range of emotion you feel. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true because we've dreamed too little. When we arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. And having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly to venture to wider seas where storms will show your mastery. Where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes. And to push into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. I share that, I love that poem because I don't want I don't want to live in a time when things are easy. I don't I don't want to sail close to the shore. I don't want a dream to come true because it's a, too pathetic of a dream when it's too little of a dream. Like, and you know that in life. You get that. Like if your goal, let's say you're a, a healthy adult male, and your goal is to bench press a hundred pounds. Like, whoo, like you a big deal. Like make a, you would make a bigger goal than that. Or if your goal is to run a 30 minute mile, like wh- whatever, like you've dreamed too little dream bigger. I love the line when he, when he says, um, disturb us to dare more boldly to venture to wider seas where storms will show your mastery. Like it's going to be tough when you get out there in the wider seas. You're going to lose sight of land. It's going to be hard. But when you're out there that far, you're going to find the stars. I'd much rather live in a time where we must stick together. And politically where we have to be a light in order to get the country back on track. Honestly, truly, I don't want to live in... I I think things are too good in many ways. Abigail Adams has one of my all-time favorite quotes. She sent this in a letter to... John, I forget what John was doing. He was abroad somewhere. And she said, these are the times in which a genius would wish to live. It's not in the calm still of life where a great character is formed. It's not when, when things are easy. It's, it'd be like lifting weights in gravity. Like it doesn't work. It's how you don't get strong by doing that. The habits of a vigorous mind are formed in contending with difficulties. Great necessities call out great virtues. Things are going to get even crazier. (laughs) You think things are bad now? You think things are crazy now? Oh man, they're going to get crazy. Good. That's why you're here. That's why you've been here. That's why you are here. And that's why I'm so grateful you are here. Because we're going to need you big time. We're going to need each other. 1-888-900-3393. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
3: This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Listening to Mike Slater. Oh my goodness gracious, what a show. So California, we'll end on this note, crazy California. So we just sort of talked about the future of America. Uh, just be glad that you're not living here in this crazy state. The weather's nice, but uh, gosh, it's hard to live here. So California just passed a law raising the tobacco age to 21. And they've also clumped e-cigarettes in with cigarettes, which I don't have time to get into this, but... I blame the e-cigarette companies for doing this because they called their new product e-cigarettes. Why Why would you create a new product and then brand it alongside the most hated thing in the country? Cigarette, why would you call your product e cigarette I know they call them vapors now, but they started off e-cigarettes, you idiots. Why would you do that? Because they have nothing to do with cigarettes. But they're banned because they contain nicotine. But nicotine's not bad for you in and of itself. It's a It's addictive. And then when you put something addictive in cigarettes, which are bad for you because they have 6,000 chemicals and all the rest, that's bad. But I mean, if they put nicotine in kale, then you'd be addicted to kale, which would be good, right? But it's not the nicotine that's bad. Anyway, nanny state politicians are stupid and they got to regulate everything. So I want to quote the great David Harsani here. He says in California, and try to wrap your head around all this. In California, a 15-year-old girl can abort a viable baby without telling her parents. But a 20-year-old with a job and kids can't buy a pack of cigarettes. That same 15-year-old girl who can get an abortion without telling her parents is banned from getting an indoor tan. And a woman has to give affirmative consent before kissing someone during their college years. No one can use foam takeout containers or plastic carryout bags or play online poker. If, a state, if the state discovers you purchased raw milk, a confiscation team will visit your home to impound the supply. In San Francisco, it's illegal to light your own fireplace. And if you fail to recycle your trash properly, you can be fined $500. And you can't get a toy with your Happy Meal because those are banned. In L.A., you have to wear a condom to make a uh, pornographic film. But you can have unprotected sex in Caligula-style orgies as long as you don't film it. In California, the first state in the nation to ban schools from using the term Redskins as a team name or mascot, it also banned the Confederate flag just in the nick of time. (laughs) What a ridiculous state we live in. In 2008, when uh, the L.A. City Council banned smoking outside... Rich Minotaur, he said, in the 1950s, the most puritanical place in America was somewhere in Kansas? Today, it's in Los Angeles. These nanny staters, they'll never stop. Because they know what's best for you, of course. Slater Radio on Twitter. Please search for The Mike Slater Show on Facebook. We have a uh, video there of uh, when we went to the Trump rally and hung around the Trump protesters. It's fun. Search for The Mike Slater Show on the book. Spread the word.
3: You're listening to Mike Slater.
0: Part of the next generation of talk radio. On
3: the Blaze Radio Network.